Welcome to the Out What Now podcast. I'm your host, Megs Pulvermacher, and each week I'll be bringing you stories, interviews, and insightful conversations with queer folks, much like yourself, about how they've navigated the ups and downs of their coming out journeys so you can do the same while learning to love yourself more fully and live more boldly and authentically. Wherever you are in your coming out journey, know that you're right where you're supposed to be, you're loved, and we're so excited to be on the journey with you. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Out what now podcast super pumped to be hanging with you for another week of navigating this never ending coming out journey while having as much fun as possible which is exactly what we're going to try to do today i have another awesome guest who i'm super excited to share with you a couple of reminders before we get to them though um there is a patreon for the outward now podcast now which is basically a small financial donation that you can give to help to support the show. It is kind of like a monthly sponsorship. So right now there is just one opportunity in there. You can kind of have different levels where if you offer or uh, sponsor at a certain amount, you get like a certain kind of kickback merch or a community building opportunity or something like that. And those are things that I'm going to put into place over the next couple of months here. Um, But right now it's just a general like, hey, Megs, really appreciate the stuff that you're putting out there and all of the time, energy and money that goes into creating something like this um, and want to help you out. So Right now, it's a $3.99 per month opportunity to sponsor the show and to be a part of the Outward Now podcast community in a financial way. If that is something that you feel called or moved to do, I would be super appreciative. Um, and if not, that's fine too. The show is going to keep coming out, NBD. But um, if this show has impacted your life in some way, inspired you, helped you to learn something, or just kind of even brings you frequent or occasional joy um, and you want to help support the show, I would be super grateful. You can find that link in the show notes to head over to do that, or you can just go to patreon.com slash podcast. I would be soups appreciative. Also, you can grab some merch. We've got some awesome mugs and some stickers over at MegsTheConnector.com. There are a bunch of new mugs. We've got some ally stuff over there, some keeping it queer mugs, some binaries of bullshit mugs, all kinds of stuff. So head over to MegsTheConnector.com and check that out. Um, Some cool ways to help support the show and a queer queer owned small business, which is mine. And it's a super fun time and you'll look super cool with uh, keeping it queer mug. Let me tell you what. Okay, let's get to our guest for today, the one and only Katie Genoway, whose pronouns are they, she. Uh, join me for this conversation today, and you can follow along with them on Instagram at simplykatysocial. Um, they're a, a Pinterest expert and do all different kinds of things to help entrepreneurs to be more visible on that platform in particular, but they got a lot of skills in other areas as well. I actually connected with Katie probably back in January on 
Clubhouse. And now we've had a couple of guests on here that I've initially connected with on Clubhouse, which is so weird because I don't really use it ever anymore. I don't even think I have it on my phone, but it was hot there for a minute and um, made a lot of cool connections on there. So um, that is where Katie and I initially connected back in January. They're a member of the Queer Impact Collective, a founding member, in fact, and just a super cool human, which led to also a super cool conversation. So some of the things that you can look forward to hearing us chat about Today, we do a very in-depth review of Philadelphia because that's where they're from. And we everything from cheesesteaks to the culture to their meh sports fans and all of that good stuff. Not meh sports fans, but they do. I feel like they tend to run a little angry. Anyway, we also talk about uh, Katie's coming out experience. We talk about queer representation in media and how important that is and the impact it can have on folks and their kind of rate of self-discovery, if you will. And Katie also shared how TikTok really helped them to start to explore gender their their own gender identity and what that looks like for them and how it manifests in their life and um, other really cool stuff. So it's a, a cool conversation. It's probably more interesting to actually listen to it than me give you a big, huge preview about it. So that is where I will cap it for today. So I will kick you on over to the interview. All right, everybody, we're here with Katie Janaway. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you and introduce you to all the people and hear your story and everything you have going on. Why don't we start with the lightning round and we will see if we can get to know you a little better. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Buckle up, kids. Here we go. Uh, number one, where did you grow up? I grew up in suburban Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, which is where I still now currently live. Sweet. Do you like it there? You must. I do. I do. I love it here because I love Philly as a city. Um, especially as I've gotten older, I, I, the more I like it as a city, um, it's a lot, it gets a lot of bad rep for being so close to New York. Um, Mm -hmm. but it has, it has all the art, all the culture, all the food that, you know, like a great big city offers. Um, Mm -hmm. and just like the Philly, the culture of being from Philly, like we're, there's a, like a brother, there's a community, but it's also like very honest, very real. Like we, we keep it straight with you. And I love being so close to the shore, but also being close to the mountains, like kind of every, you have every single type of environment, like within an hour or two drive. So, you know, no matter what you're looking for, it's kind of like, it's there. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, I love it. And really intense sports fans. Very intense sports fans. Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, makes it always very interesting. <laughs> yes. I went to Philadelphia, I guess, gosh, now that's 10, 10-ish years ago. But we were kind of, I had to go there for a conference when I was in grad school. And we were like, Ugh, Philadelphia, we didn't get a cool city like Chicago or New Orleans had been the year before or something. And we went and it was so much fun just to see all the stuff. We went to a really cool piano bar. 
there's like yeah. just all kinds of getting cheese steaks all kinds of cheese steaks i can show you the best one if you <laughs> when you come back there's yes. uh more but yeah we have so many great restaurants not just cheese steaks um but there's so many great restaurants here yeah. um that people just don't know about yeah we have like restaurant week all the time we have uh, we have one here in my own hometown but um yeah it's definitely if you're a foodie it's definitely a good place to be yes you gotta get gotta get out there gotta get out there um how old are you i'm 29 the perfect age 30s creeping but i promise it's, it's creeping slowly but it's i'm having mixed feelings it's like i'm ready but i'm also like oh there <laughs> like there's part of me that feels like i should be scared but i'm also like i'm right re- I'm, I'm almost like ready to be to get to the next chapter oh yeah um, you should be ecstatic the 30s are awesome i'm yeah, almost halfway I'm, through and yeah uh depending especially with how my 20s went i'm like i'm ready for a new a new decade yeah let's bring it on all right coffee or tea depends on the day (laughs) i love Mm. both i i'm definitely more of an iced coffee and tea person um than hot um but it really depends on the day need more caffeine definitely going for uh the coffee yes yeah get that so refreshing it's so good uh pizza or tacos tacos all day every day what's your most used emoji probably the like laughing crying one which (laughs) now as a millennials we get a lot of hate for now um either that or the one with like smiling with like the hearts all around it Mm. like the omg you care about me i feel loved looking one yeah 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 cute uh what's your favorite time of day my favorite kind of day is one doing absolutely nothing (laughs) um or just one where I can do everything you know that I can do what I want like going to see a movie going to get a meal at my favorite restaurant spending time with like those that are closest to me like just really being in control of my day and doing one that's like very I don't feel rushed Mm. at all that I get to you know take that time to myself and do things that I really enjoy yes nice and easy Mm-hmm. all that stuff um this is kind of a weird question but if you had categorized tables in the lunchroom where you went to high school which table would you have been sitting at it's so funny because <laughs> lunch was in high school even though I, I love school I was so good at school like lunch was one of my, especially when I got to high school is my favorite period of the day mm. because it was like the only time I felt like I really got to rest and like catch up with everyone and I had a um, like our lunch table was just like a big group of friends. Um, but I would say it's between, I mean, I was also very preppy in high school or at least my style was. <laughs> so, I, but I would say probably still like nerdy. Um, yeah, but I was also in band, but I didn't sit with the band kids. I sat with like all my friends who were, we were, uh, yeah, we were all like very good students. <laughs> it, was, it was all women too, so. Sure, sure. 
Did your lunchroom kind of shake out like that? Like, did you have very distinct tables with distinct kinds of people or was it a mix? Not really. It was interesting in my high school, or at least like my schooling experience, like there were, there were defined, there were defined groups, but they weren't defined by like what you did or what you were interested in. Like for me, I was in band, but I also played sports. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, for me, I know a lot of people that played sports, but we're also like in the music, (laughs) in the, you know spring musical um so like most of my friends I would say like did a lot of different things and we had a lot of different interests so it wasn't so like it was just the jocks or it was just the geeks or you know that sort of thing um but there were defined social groups for sure yeah yeah 100 percent. and if you go to a small school like at my school if everybody didn't do everything we wouldn't have had stuff that was yeah that was similar (laughs) to me because I was I guess my school was like 1100 kids, which was, you know, it's on the smaller side, but compared to my surrounding schools, which were like usually at least three or 4,000 kids. um, We were definitely like one of the smaller, smaller schools. Dang. Yeah. We had like 450 in my high school. So it's like your ass better be in band, in the musical, at church, in the, on all the teams. (laughs) or you're not doing anything. Uh, that's cool though. Um, if you could learn a new skill, any skill, what would it be? Uh, it would probably be learning how to brew beer or mm. make wine. Now we're <laughs> talking. Or like make olive oil or something. Um, Cause I feel like if I wasn't in the space that I am now, like I'd love to have my own brewery or vineyard or something. Yes. You know, we need more queer owned breweries. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have uh, one in Minneapolis. Uh, it's a lesbian owned brewery and it's dope as hell. They have a great patio, but. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. we have a ton of breweries here and the Phil- Pennsylvania and the Philly area in particular, but uh I don't think any of them are queer owned. I'd have to do a little bit more research, but yeah. And especially with, I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's been a lot of, there's been kind of this expose of, you know, being a male dominated industry, yep. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of stories coming out about, you know, harassment and abuse and stuff like that coming out. So that's especially why we need more <laughs> queer. Yes. Owned, uh, Let's for- go. Got to get in there. Okay. I think I might know the answer to this question, but I'm not 100% positive. If you hosted a talk show or a podcast like you already do, and you could have any guest you want, who would be your first guest? Oh, <laughs> I think you know. Yeah, it probably, it probably would be Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> now that you were like, oh, I know who the answer is. I was like, oh, okay, that would be... Um, or maybe Oprah. Mm. Yeah, straight to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It would be hard to top Oprah. Because she's, like, she's just such a good interviewer, like that I know that she would give a mm-hmm. good interview. Yeah. Wow. You'd get great social media content out of that. Mm-hmm. Which is a great segue into what is it that you do? <laughs> so, yes, I am a freelance social media manager. And specifically I started my business, you know, 
at the end of January of this year, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, naturally, uh, naturally as many of us have started our own businesses, um, which was a result of me, you know, when the pandemic started last year, I got furloughed from my job and which was really hard, but at the same time, like looking at what's happened in the past year is probably the kick in the butt that I needed to really get things moving. The amount of growth I've had in the last six months in starting it has yeah. been incredible. And it's, and I also don't think I realized how much I would have work I would have to do on myself. Yeah. Um, you know, especially because before then I had I had done a lot of work. I've been in therapy for over a decade um, and feel like I've worked through a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I've realized in starting my own business that a lot of the things that I thought I had already processed and healed from, um, I haven't quite gotten there um, or, I, you know, I need to pivot. I need to tweak a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I started because I, in my last job, I had done social media management for a nonprofit, um, an arts nonprofit, and, you know, had done their like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram for them. And, um, which was great experience because, you know, I've lived with social media, you know, for, you know, over a decade now, but had never used it in a professional setting. And so learning mm -hmm. how to use it and market it for a business, um, particularly one that I was like really passionate about was really interesting. Um, but I think the downside to that and working in that environment was it was I didn't really have much control over what I could put out. Yeah. Um, and that's which has been the greatest part about having my own business is having all of that control and being able to execute all those <laughs> creative ideas that I have all the time because I'm constantly um, coming up with them, but not always following through with execution. Um, but yeah, so like getting that experience and then before starting my business, you know, getting a couple um, clients and doing some like volunteer work for them and continuing still in the nonprofit space, um, but having a lot more control and having a lot more collaboration with the people, you know, running it and then being much more open to my ideas and like working with them and me really enjoying having that collaborative um, environment. I have found that that's like where I really thrive um, is being able to work with other people and for us to be like on the same page as to like what we want to accomplish. Because I think that's been the best part about being in, you know, my space now is that I not only finding people that are interested in the same things that I'm in, but also just have the same ambitions, the same goals, like are striving to make, you know, impact mm -hmm. um, in their communities, like grow their communities. And that the, the values I think are really what um, it comes down to. And that's been, that's been the best part of, of starting my own business. Yeah, for sure. And you work primarily with qu queer entrepreneurs or? Uh, yeah, so primarily, yeah. But I, the my main goal is really to work with any marginalized identity. So women sure. or people of color. But I've really, um, I pivoted specifically when I started my business because, you know, I, I guess I joined, I met, you know, I met you first through Clubhouse, I guess, you know, a lot of people in the collective yeah, I met. That's right. Um, there initially because I had started there before I started and then I was hearing a lot about how people were having 
trouble finding, you know, hiring people who were also queer. And so I thought that that would be like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to market myself to other queer entrepreneurs because like, it didn't seem like there were a lot of people who were marketing them themselves that way. And that there was also a need um, because people in our community want to hire um, yes. and keep that money within the community. Yeah, because to have, uh, well, you kind of said it, it's it's very different to come into your queerness just in your life than it is to come into your queerness and be out and be out on the internet doing queer stuff. Uh, that's in a big energetic, uh, it's very energetically taxing to do that. And so it's nice to be able to outsource some of that heavy stuff Um when you're doing things like coming up with content ideas and breaking through, you know, mental blocks that come up about, should I even post this? And is this going to be like polarizing in a way that I'm going to lose my clients or is it going to be polarizing in a way that attracts people to me? And all of those things that you have to figure out when you're a queer entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Cause, and especially recently I've realized how important it is to, outsource and to and how like heavy it can be as a queer entrepreneur like doing it all ourselves like <laughs> I think for some for many of us for most of our life we've been like used to you know doing everything ourselves or just like keeping guarded because we're afraid of like sharing it with other people mm-hmm. but when I've you know made the choice to get help in my business that's helped me grow as a person as an entrepreneur like it's just made everything like infinitely better um has helped me scale at a much quicker rate than like if I had just been doing everything on my own yeah for sure I think you make a really interesting point uh that you said a little bit earlier uh about feeling like you've done the work or you like process stuff and how different that is to then do it in your business but within like your own experience just as a queer human coming into that or kind of realizing your queerness and um getting to where you are now what has that process looked like for you i think with many journeys in my life it's been a very long (laughs) and slow process (laughs) um and one that it's been kind of like things that have built on top of one another over a long period of time as opposed to me waking up one day and being like oh oh I'm queer now (laughs) um because I would say it was if I think back to like the first time that I really kind of started questioning it was when I was about 19, 20 years old and I was in my first relationship and the moment it was interesting, very, you know, as someone who like loves pop culture, very connected to that. Um, something that really stuck out to me at that time was, I don't know if you remember this, but Natalie Portman came out with like a quote, she, and she came out with this thing was like, um, you know, it's like silly to be only attracted to like 50% of the population or something related to that. And like, people were like, is she coming out? Is she not like whatever. And to but like her sentiment was like very much like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, why would you only be attracted to like, you know, one gender or like only like half of the, <laughs> half of the community? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember really resonating with that, but then I kind of just was like, okay, you know, maybe there's something I have to deal with or like kind of 
dig into further. Um, but like being in a very committed relationship at the time and still being in college and like that still feeling new, um, just was like, you know what, I'm going to come back to this later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then I think it came up again. Um, the next time that I kind of started thinking about it was like after college, um, I had, you know, I graduated and then like broke up with my boyfriend at the time that I dated like the end of college and was getting back on the apps again and everything. Um, and was like, you know, maybe I want to, you know, try talking to men and women, you know, test that out a little bit, but like, just never had the confidence to do that was still very much scared to, um, And then in like the year, you know, in the years since I've like left school, it's been, you know, working with people and having and surrounding myself with friends who are queer, who are open about it, who are willing to talk about it, who just seeing like more options as to like what queerness looks like Mm -hmm. has been the probably one of the biggest things in me, like feeling confident about it. And, you know, in my own queerness is like just seeing like how different it can look for different people and that it's not just one thing because it's like, yes, I, you know, I had one idea of what gay looked like and I had one idea of what lesbian looked like and like, (laughs) that's it. Um, And, you know, and maybe one idea of what trans looked like, but it wasn't until, but then it became a thing of like, it almost like I wanted the invitation. I wanted people to ask me about it. as opposed to me revealing it to them. Um, because I got to a point where it was like, you know, if someone asked me about it, I would be honest with them and upfront and like tell them, but like, I'm not going to willingly put that, you know, information out there if like, they're not asking about it. Um, which I think kind of goes back to the thing of like, a lot of people are, you know, you're not sure that people, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, I don't, you know, you can be that, but we don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to know what happens, you know, in your life. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to hear about your experience about like, what's it like being queer? Um, well, I, I just, I kind of wonder what you think about this, but what I'm thinking is when people, I think, particularly folks who aren't in the queer community or who don't identify that way, when someone comes out or says, I'm queer, it feels like to them that we're like telling them how we have sex, right? As opposed to like, this is a component of my personality and identity. When you come out about something like that, as opposed to someone just asking about your life, like, oh, what did you do this weekend? And then you say, oh, I did something with my girlfriend or my partner or whatever. And it becomes part of kind of your larger circle of existence. Whereas when we have to feel like we have to come out or disclose or whatever, it can kind of feel like the only reason we would be telling them that it's like, hey, just by the way, I have sex with women. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's kind of a a weird thing to feel like we have to disclose. And 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 it's interesting as like, I look back now to a lot of my friendships from like high school and college with, you know, other straight folks, like a lot of the conversations and activities and things that you talk about revolve on like who you're dating or who you're interested in. 
And so I think that's like another part of it is like, you know, people feel comfortable talking about it when it's the opposite gender, but like when people, you know, put in someone who is the opposite gender or non-binary um, or trans, they're, you know, to them, it's like, how do I talk about this? Even though it's like kind of the same thing, you know, it's like pretty much, it's pretty exactly. much the same thing. <laughs> but when, but when the kind of norm is to, or when you're in a, you know, friend group or friendship where the, it revolves around, you know, your relationships with the opposite gender or your interest in them or like how you act around them. I think that's also why like some of my friendships have changed and evolved because mm. I don't want to be, <laughs> you know, or like, I just don't relate to that anymore in terms of like, I don't want to spend, you know, all the time talking about what your ex did. <laughs> it was terrible right. to you. Um, and not that, the, but like, but we've also people who like us who have been, you know, assigned female and have been socialized as female. Like we we're taught that that's like what we should talk about <laughs> and right. how we relate to other people is like, how do we relate to, how do we relate to men and how we, you know, how can we please them? And like, you know, it's our fault if they do something, you know, if they do something mean to us. So mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of it as well. It's like, that's how we've been socialized. Yeah. So true. Um, so you, you've kind of talked about like, evolution and as you've come into this queer experience you kind of are have seen a lot of different ways to be queer and the fluidity that can come with it have you seen evolution in yourself as far as kind of how you identified and experienced your queerness at the beginning when you were like 19 or 20 mm -hmm. and to where you are now gosh a whole decade later right yeah it definitely is because I feel like at that point I wasn't it it's only been in the last couple of years where I've actively sought out queer media, like books mm. that are written by queer authors, TV shows, movies, you know, that are made by queer folks or feature, you know, strong leads or storylines. Um, and just like immersing myself in like what other queer folks like or into, or just like, you know, what I, people who have similar experiences to me are interested in. Um, so like it was even when I was like starting to question it in like 19 or 20, like I wasn't putting myself in. I was just like, oh, questioning for myself. It really wasn't until a couple of years ago where I put it out for other people where yeah. it was still very, you know, for, for the better part of a decade, it was really a very private and personal thing. Um, like I said, I, I've been in therapy for almost, you know, 10 years, but I didn't talk about it for most. That was the only thing I, you know, never talked about. It mm -hmm. took me that long. It took, you know, like telling another person for me to be able to really accept it for myself um, and for it to feel real and for me to be able to talk about it, you know, whether it's a therapist's office or with a friend or a coworker, like it, uh, it really took like sharing it with someone to, for it to feel real to me. Yeah. And saying the linguistics and the actual just production of the words is particularly the first, not just the first time, but the first several times, like it take it gets, it takes a while to get used to that in a lot of cases for a lot of folks. Yeah. And especially in my experience, I have found that it has been harder to 
come out to people that I, you know, that have been in my life for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that knew me before I came into my queerness, as opposed to like someone that I've just met. Um, and I, and I, it's also more comfortable for me when like someone else has like kind of put it out there that, you know, that like they might, you know, they might be, um, whether that's like overtly or more subtle. Um, but I know that's for my experience. It's, it's, now that I've kind of like evolved into this new version of myself, uh, coming into it um, more recently, the easier that it's, I found that like the people that have come into my life during this period are the easiest to, to talk about it with. Yeah. And I mean, you spend so much time working within the context of social media, just in your work, experience, experiencing it yourself as a, as a human and a consumer. Um do you think that the having representation, be that on TikTok, in movies, books, Instagram, whatever, it's probably makes it a little bit easier to kind of for folks to get language or to understand that they're not alone in their experience at, because they just have this plethora if things are visible uh, for them to find um, that they have all of that available to kind of help them navigate their experience and see what aligns for them. Absolutely. For me, uh, you know, the rise of TikTok in the past year and a half has played a huge part in me coming into my queerness and particularly I would say my gender identity, but also, but also my sexuality, because I, it, it has just shown the variety of like all the different experiences and like so many people sharing them so openly and like taking Mm -hmm. you through this journey of like for them too they're like going through the exact same thing at the exact same time and you know how having that language and having you know like this is what I was into when I was younger and like that's how it shaped me and it's like oh wait (laughs) like the same exact thing (laughs) you know I did the same thing um I thought the same things and so that, that played a huge role and like, I wouldn't say accelerating, but help, you know, like you said, like feeling less alone, because I think, especially when I was younger, even before I started questioning my queerness, like it, I felt so alone. I always felt different, like from mm-hmm. a very young age, like I always just felt like an outsider. So, and like, maybe that's because I was queer, maybe it's something else, but like, uh, you know, I just always, it has helped me as I found through social media and other forms of media, like it has helped me feel less alone, that there's other people out there, you know, outside of my own community that are experiencing similar things. Yeah. Once you get to the queer side of TikTok, man, your world (laughs) gets rocked because you're like, holy shit, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And it's been, it's been incredible to see the people's personal journey of like coming into you know their own gender identity and Mm. sexuality and like becoming friends with one another and you know meeting each other in real life and like forming these like long distance relationships um you know there's one who nicknamed it the lesbian tinder um which I think (laughs) which is um funny but also you know a lot of um relationships have come out of it because I think a lot of queers have you know, have, it's become a safe space for a lot of us Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, 
I mean, I still, you know, like a lot of other platforms, I still don't think the platform itself is inherently uh, safe. Mm-hmm. for us and it's not made for us but we've been able to create a safe space for ourselves sure um which is really important and then i think also just on you know t- tiktok specifically is you know a lot of people are sharing different forms of media that like it's like oh if you're queer or it's like if you like this then you'll like this mm-hmm. and so being able to see oh this person with similar experiences is interested in this and it's like they've they've listened to this they've watched this they're recommending things to me it's kind of like its own like recommendation machine too to me yeah of like oh these are pieces of culture that like maybe i've missed or i should check out because like these are things that um i also enjoy yeah and it's just like i listen to a lot of coming out stories right because that's what this podcast is about. But I feel like I, I've talked to a lot of queer folks who are just like, I had no idea that queerness was even an option or yeah. what the language was or that this was a way that people actually lived or whatever. You hear a lot about that, I think. I mean, now for millennials and whatever, but certainly like more <clears throat> late bloomer, people who are coming out late or old when they're older or whatever uh, who are like I just didn't never had a reference point for this I didn't know this was a choice and that's mm-hmm. why the representation in the media is so important and because there's so much more of it you're seeing a lot of folks kind of get the picture a little quicker yeah and that's a, yeah for me I never thought it was an option <laughs> because yeah. I didn't because I didn't see the option of like who I am now anywhere um (laughs) because it either wasn't available to me or it just didn't exist yeah um and so I think that's been and I think it's funny that a lot of people are being you know saying that like Hollywood makes people gay when in fact like Hollywood has so much work to do when it comes to queer representation Mm -hmm. um and that if it really were you know representative of what you know, our, you know, the U.S. or the world actually looked like, um, it would be a lot different. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Um, you've mentioned the, uh, gender identity a couple of times. So with your experience, how has that evolved for you? So I think that's more recently and that's actually, that's really, TikTok has been like the more so like before I would say, you know, I was on TikTok last year, like that didn't even occur to me that I um, was anything other than cis or that there was other options between like cis or trans, like it was still very binary. Um, But, you know, finding, you know, that there's things, you know, with being non-binary and being gender fluid or like some combination or like that there is also a spectrum. Um, and what that looks like and just, you know, being in a pandemic and being in an environment where you do not have to perform your gender, <laughs> you know, where mm-hmm. you haven't had to perform your gender or sexuality at its, you know, at its fullest point uh, for the better part of the year, year and a half, um, and not socializing the way that you've been brought up, like gave, you know, and like just sitting with it and thinking about it um, and also just 
you know, the expectations of, you know, someone that was born female, like just, you know, is this something that it really appeals to me or was it something that it was taught or something that is expected of me? Um, do I really agree with all these things? Do these things all really, re- so it was just a lot of questions and then seeing yeah. other people going through the same thing of like questioning and, and being like, no, I don't agree with this. Or like, um, for me at this point, I just feel like it's not, I feel like a, you know, a diss or that it's like abhorrent that like someone calls me a female. I just don't feel like it's encompasses the full version of who I am. Um, and there's more days that I, you know, there's some days that I resonate with it more than others. Um, and then I think also for me, you know, we're with non-binary awareness week this week. Um, you know, I think a lot of us think of like androgyny, you know, Mm. being what non-binary is. And like, for me, you know, learning that you can be non-binary or gender fluid and like present as femme is like a huge, like has been a huge thing that like you can present anyway. You can say that you're, you know, any sort of gender and like present in any way that you feel like is, you know, comfortable and safe to you. And that doesn't take away from your, your label or your identity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think one of the things that makes people so uncomfortable with it who aren't experiencing it because there is no one answer or one way to be. And the thought or idea that you don't owe anyone anything, the way you present the pronouns you use, the any of that, I think that was something that was so interesting to me about the pandemic is that as we we were, well, we're still a busy culture. We're getting back to more of that, I think. But we use all of these kind of cognitive shortcuts about the way the world is, right? And that's why binary things are super helpful for organizing a situation and knowing how to act based on what we see or what we know to be true or whatever. And we did a lot of just like going through the motions. And then when the pandemic happened and we all slowed down, we had time to ask ourselves questions like, oh, like things are like this. Do I agree with that? Is that even true? Is that the way it should be? And there plus TikTok. (laughs) And then you get this explosion of people who have expanded thought and experiences that don't fit into boxes. And it's really fucking cool. It's all, yeah, it, it's awesome. And especially for those of us who their life was disrupted in a very significant way, which for most of us, it was in some way or another, whether it was losing your job or, you know, losing a family member, getting sick or something happening that really disrupted the way that you were going for years and years and years. Um, and you're operating in a world that it just it really gave you time to sit back and think about like, does this still work for me? Like, why am I doing this in the first place? Like, you know, you know, kind of rethinking how we do things. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a quick note on pronouns, since I have you on the horn here, (laughs) um, you use she, they pronouns. Yeah. I've, I've had multiple people ask me, like, what do I do when I see both? Or like, what does it mean? Or, or whatever. Can you give us some insight into your experience, how pronouns function for you and why they're so important? They're 
very important for me because, and this is not the case for everyone, obviously. Um, but for me, having multiple sets is just feels more comfy to me. And I find that, um, yeah, it's been a process to learn to like introduce myself with them. And like, mm-hmm. it's taken some practice to, um, be upfront with them. But I found that when I've like led with it, like it's led other people to use them or to signal their allyship. Um, and I think especially with social media, it's kind of an easy way to kind of signal that like you're an ally or you're a member, or you're a part of the community. Um, because there's so much limited space in those profiles. But I think for me, um, it's been really helpful to have multiple sets because while I kind of use them interchangeably or like accept both, um, it does, they does feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, and I still accept you because like that, you know, because I've been conditioned that way, just sometimes it's just, I don't want the mental energy of having to explain to people. Um, but I think like just with practice, it just gets easier. I think we're getting to a point where like it's starting to become more normalized. Um, but I think for me with my experience, it's, you know, and for some people, you know, they prefer one over the other, there's no preference. Um, but I think just getting into the practice of like asking and introducing, you know, and saying them when you're introducing yourself, Mm -hmm. um, and putting them, you know, in your, you know, uh, social media profile in your email signature, like anywhere you can put them Mm -hmm. is super helpful. Totally. And I, something that I've noticed just in our, um, in our meetups in the collective and things, people will do a lot of experimenting with pronouns or that's a, a very safe space to kind of play around with that and see what feels good and have conversation about it. And one of this is maybe just a, a note for allies or just anyone who maybe doesn't have a have a lot of folks who use they them pronouns or identify as non-binary or whatever. Um, just uh, something that I've seen happen in that space is when someone introduces themselves and says like, what's up? I'm Katie Genoway. I'm the dopest social content creator in the land. My pronouns are she, they. Um someone will just ask like, do you have a preference or how does that land for you? Or kind of like asking a follow-up question. If you don't know the answer, it's generally okay to ask. Would you agree? Is that how, how folks have kind of operated for you? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I feel like I would encourage that too, because I think, especially for like allies, I think they're very afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing and offend us. But I, I feel like I can generally tell who's like trying to do the right thing and who's just like ignorant or like, you know, um, doesn't want to, you know, partake in that. Um, yeah. So for me, I'd rather people ask questions and like ask those follow-ups, um, and like really try to understand and like have that learning experience because like I don't fault anyone for not knowing because like up until a year ago a year or two ago like I didn't even know um so I don't I don't put that pressure on anyone else that like they have to have it figured out and do it right every single time yeah for sure we're all on the on the evolutionary journey so it's like just don't be a dick be genuine and ask the question it's cool And 
name your house plants, give your house plants, they, them pronouns. It's a very easy way to um, practice using something. Everyone can learn something new. Don't act like using they, them pronouns are a big deal. Please stop. I know I saw it was a is meme that was very interesting. I mean, this feels more to straight people, but like it was yeah. it was the thing of like, you know, there's no quicker way to like talk to use they them than like when they're talking about you know they're describing a situation to their significant other that they were in a situation that involved someone of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So you know, so it's like you know, it's like we know how to use them. It's mm-hmm. just we're we haven't been socialized to use them in that context and we it's just still very nude for many of us but I think it's you know some people are willing to learn and other people aren't because that's not what they know um, or it's not what they want to know so most definitely um so in the work that you do you're working largely well primarily with uh, folks in marginalized communities a lot of queer folks do you see a lot of consistent or um, common challenges that they're working through as they're building up their social media presence and trying to be authentic at the same time? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've talked about with you know other members of the collective, especially recently, is how difficult it is like how frustrating it is that we're taught that certain strategies um are gonna make your account grow Mm -hmm. and like that specific things are supposed to work in order to like build up your social media following um when we don't see the same results because our content is not being pushed out by the platform Um, And so it's very frustrating to see, you know, other creators in our niche, in our industries, um, doing the same exact things, sharing the exact same information. And, you know, you know, we're struggling to get a thousand followers and they have 10,000 in like four months. Right. Um, So like navigating that in terms of like, you know, continuing to show up um, when we're being told, you know, in ways that we're told is supposed to work and it's not working. Mm hmm. Um, and especially now I would say with like all of the changes that are consistently happening, it's like incredibly hard to keep up with that as like one person. Um, and as like the platforms change, especially as like, we're in a space that wasn't designed for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and how can we be disruptive, um, and be innovators in a space that, you know, wasn't and get our voice out there to people um, that need to hear it and want to hear it. Um, But the people in power (laughs) don't want to, don't want our message to get out there, whether they're actively doing it or it's just, that's how it's been. That's how the technology has been built. Yeah. And is that true across platforms? I mean, I know obviously you spend a lot of time on Instagram, but I know Pinterest is one of your big spaces as well. So is there a difference in visibility between platforms? I would say so because, which is why I'm like kind of making the move now to move more into Pinterest because I do, not so much that I see it as more necessarily welcoming for queer folks, but just inclusive all around, like their Mm -hmm. philosophy of like just being a positive space for everyone um is just I think more conducive for queer creators than all the other platforms 
you know, Pinterest just made the policy ad that they're going to ban weight loss ads. And like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to that, but like, you know, making these moves to be inclusive for all different kinds of identities, I think is going to be much more helpful for us and like getting our reach out there um, and making ourselves more visible than Instagram or sometimes even TikTok of like who sees our content and who doesn't. Right. Yeah. Wow. 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 There's always something. There's always something. Um, So if folks are wanting to connect with you, maybe they want to, you know, get some more of the deets on your story or your experiences, or even access your services that you have going on. What are some of the things that you have coming up and where can people find you? So people can find me at my website, which is katiegenaway.com, um, spelled K-A-T-I-E-J-E-N-A-W-A-Y. Um, and then you can find me at uh, the handle simply Katie Social on Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. Yes. And so like I said, I am pivoting more into Pinterest management. So really all my services are going to be tailored towards that. Um, I was planning on launching (laughs) Canva templates, but I've kind of pivoted that a little bit. I'm not going to sell them separately as I kind of have been marketing them for a while. Um, They're going to be more uh, like included kind Mm. of bonus as um, with my upcoming services um, later, I guess later this month in July, I am launching my VIP days. So those are for people that are looking to get started with Pinterest or, you know, if they've already started, but they haven't really gotten, (laughs) gotten their footing there yet for them to really get a refresh, get started with it. Um, And then, you know, feed that into my larger packages, because I think, especially now with like the boom that's happening with Pinterest, like queer creators need to be on there now. (laughs) Um, Because I think one of the misconceptions is like, people don't want to be on it because they think no one's on it. But the truth, like the other side of that is that you're not going to have as much competition um, Mm -hmm. because our community has not taken full advantage of that platform yet. So if you go on there now, like, you know, if someone searches for pod, you know, queer podcasts, like, they're going to find you and, you know, you're going to get that visibility um, much more easily than you would on, on Instagram. Love it. Visibility is life, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Awesome. Definitely uh, slide into Katie's DMs, hit them up, let them know what's going on, hire them, do all the things. You will not regret it. I can assure you. Um, All right. Our final question. I hope you've had enough time to think about it. Mm-hmm. I know this is a high pressure one, but it's my favorite. Um, so a gift from me to you, Katie, I'm going to buy you a billboard. You can put anything on it that you want, whatever you want your message to be for the, the worldwide passersby. What would it say? So it's, it's kind of a, an evolution of a quote that's um, said by Gina Davis for her. She is a big advocate of (laughs) female empowerment and media representation. Um, And her quote, her original quote is, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm -hmm. And I would expand that to, if you can see it, if you can hear it, if you can speak it, you can be it. Yes. 
Let's go. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the show. It was awesome to have you and to hear your story and all of your wisdom to share with the peeps. And I'm super grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. That is it for this week's episode. We will catch you back here next week. Until then, keep it queer out there. Thanks so much for tuning into the Out What Now podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean so, so much to me if you could take the time to leave a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone who could use the message you heard in today's episode, please, please, please share it with them so that we can get this message out to as many people as possible. Thanks so much for being you and keep it queer out there.